Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, unlocking the power of Thinkorswim, the award-winning trading platforms loaded with features that let you dive deeper into the market. Visualize your trades in a new light on Thinkorswim Desktop with robust charting and analysis tools, all while you uncover new opportunities with up-to-the-minute market news and insights. Thinkorswim is available on desktop, web, and mobile to meet you where you are. It's built by the trading obsessed to help you trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. The Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit returns to London on April 25th for a solution-driven look at the sustainable business and finance landscape, looking at the latest trends in ESG regulations, supply chain innovation, and transition finance. Speakers include leaders from CDP, Emirates Environment Group, TNFD, C-Trace, COA, and more. Summit advisors include City and Schneider Electric. Visit BloombergLive.com slash SBS 2024 to learn more. Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Daily national average gasoline prices, according to AAA, $4.92 a barrel. Regular unleaded. Regular. A gallon. A gallon. A gallon. A gallon. Yeah. yeah, I was saying barrel. A gallon. A barrel of gas. Yes. <laughs> that would be enough to fill so up my Raptor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, you, I mean, it's just amazing. So that kind of brings, to, to me, that's inflation. So what everybody says, CPI, you know, X energy and food. I'm like, how can you, you can't X out energy and food. That's I what we all. I 100% agree with you. That's what why would correct. you, why would you? So I get why economists do okay. it. All right. In an esoteric, like academic way, because they feel that those costs uh, or prices are transitory, but um, there is no way that a public-facing civil servant should ever use an inflation X, X everything you need to live, right? Let's see if a portfolio manager does this stuff for a living. Did they go extra? Did they look at the whole thing? Abhay Deshpande, founder and chief investment officer, Centerstone Investors. Uh, Abhay, thanks so much for joining us. I mean, inflation's out there. How does that factor in, i.e. inflation and the Fed's ability to tame inflation, how does that factor into your investment outlook? Inflation is elevated, remains elevated, but, um, you know, you are going to be um, hopefully like in a month or two starting to overlap uh, or lap some of the higher uh, or the steeper uh, rate increases from last year. So I think inflation should probably um, kind of settle down a little bit and uh, allow the market some breathing room. But the Fed is still way behind, even if inflation settles down to four or five percent you know fed is still uh you know behind the curve uh it's just going to be interesting for them to be you know in a position to have to continuously raise interest rates while the economy is slowing down for us as value investors at centerstone you know um the fact that money and capital has a cost again is is that it's 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 new and it means that cash flow has some um value it's a value (laughs) As much as we look at cash flow as a, an important determinant of um, or an input into the valuation of the business, mm-hmm. companies that generate cash flows, you know, i.e., the types of things we invest, should be, you know, uh, in favor, and they have been for the last uh, many months now. So is, you know, I just had uh, breakfast over at the. Um Where's that place we go? The Lowe's. Uh, oh, the, yeah, at the, the Regency. Sure. It was wonderful. With Power a serial entrepreneur who used to always start these kind of um, 
revenue generating tech companies, you know, and just grow the top line and then sell them. Now he says, I'm done with that. I'm just focusing on cash cows. And we see the same thing, Abe, in ETFs, right? You see a lot of inflows into these ETFs that have big cash flow generating companies and out of like the queues. So is this, is value finally going to overtake, for lack of a better word, because I know people quibble about the meaning of value and growth, but are we going to start seeing that rotation um, really stick this year? It's, um, you know, it started about a year ago, the rotation, as it were, and now it's gathering pace. I think it's become fairly obvious that the large cap growth stocks are, uh, or were, over overpriced, um, and they're overpriced in a, in a, in a, environment where growth is slowing so then you look at your alternatives and you look at companies that have been kind of basically ignored for 10 years we own companies that like perigo and ubisoft that are trading at fraction of their intrinsic values uh, companies that generate uh, cash free cash flow and gener- and distribute that to shareholders through either buybacks or, sh- or dividends and so so i'm of the mind that that turn already happened uh, it's gathering pace whether it you know, for the one year, I don't know if I can make a prediction for like just another six, seven months, but I'd say for the next three to five years that um, the winds are in the sales of uh, value-oriented approaches. And Abe, I mean, you know, value investing is not for the faint of heart. What led you into the value camp? Well, it's, I think it's uh, it's a personality thing. Like, you know, <laughs> for it, it, it's. Uh, a, a point of view where a business has an intrinsic value. Um, it's determined by cash flows and tangible things. And to me, that's just real, um, yep. as opposed to me trying to understand what is the potential growth of some company that doesn't have any revenues 10 years from now, what is it going to look like? That, to me, it, uh, there are so many paths, you know, so many uh undetermined you know, variables and unknowable variables that, that can throw you off the path as opposed to the bird in hand of a value company where, you know, I don't have to make so many guesses about things. But to me, it's just a, it's just a, it's just a matter of understanding or agreeing that hey, the future is uncertain. If the future is uncertain, um, you know, the most value I can add, I keep on using that word, but the most value I can add to our shareholders is to invest in companies where, uh, there's some predictability to the outcome. So I love that kind of investing. It's always been it's what I've been doing for 30 years. I feel like it is. I feel like I, I would uh, feel safer investing in value than growth. You would. I, I, you feel safer, but it's just, boy, over my 30-plus-odd year career, it's been growth. True, there have been growth, a lot growth, of head growth, fakes. Growth. That's why I was asking if it would stick. But Abe also came up under some of the most legendary yes. names in value investing. Jean-Marie Aviard and Charles DeVoe. Plus, I, maybe they, know, they, they teach it at the know. University of Louisville. I'm not sure. But anyway, <laughs> Abe Despande, thank yep. you so much uh, for joining us. Always good stuff there. Uh, founder and chief investment officer, Centerstone Investors. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, bringing you an expanding library of education with even more ways to sharpen your trading skills. Access new online courses, insightful webcasts, articles, engaging videos, and more, all curated just for traders. Plus, guided learning paths with content designed to fit your unique interests. No sifting to find exactly what you need so you can spend your time learning to trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com trading. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. 
It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. I want to bring in Danielle DiMartino Booth. She is a big, big uh, uh, star here at Bloomberg Markets. We love having her on to give us thoughts on these markets and on, on the Federal Reserve. She's uh, CEO and Chief Strategist for Quill Intelligence, former advisor at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas. So, Danielle, thanks so much for taking the time again to chat with us here. We have a Fed meeting next week. What should we expect? Well, um, I think that we should expect, given, you know, I call them the Holy Trinity, John Williams, Lael Brainerd, Jerome Powell, you know, that, that's the power seat, the, the vice chair of the FOMC, chair of the FOMC, vice chair of the Federal Reserve Board. They've maintained their hawkish stance. I think they've got their eye on September. Ira Jersey gave a really good runoff was just a few minutes ago. I think they have their eye on getting to that third 50 basis point rate hike in front of us in September and achieving that almost $100 billion a month run uh, runoff rate for the balance sheet. I think they're going to try and communicate that in this coming week's meeting. I didn't get a chance to ask Ira Jersey um, earlier about the auction this afternoon. Normally, I don't care about auctions. Um, I probably care less than anyone else in the building, but uh, apparently like this is a big deal today. I think it's going to be a $44 billion three-year sale at 1 o'clock, and it'll be the first time that the Fed doesn't play a big part, right? The Fed's not playing a big part, and this will indeed uh, be a litmus test for what the private investor community, what their appetite is. And, you know, look, at, at these levels, I think that a lot of insurance companies, public pensions, Initially, there's going to be this massive amount of relief that they can come in and get short paper at high yield. And so I don't think that there's – we're going to watch it closely, don't get me wrong. Um, but to Ira's point, once we get further down the line and get through natural buyers, people who are desperate for yield, once we get through that population, I think then we're going to have to be watching out for, uh, for what's to come in terms of do we see the potential for – higher rates because we have to pull buyers out of the woodwork. Danielle, over the next several months, what is the what type of mistake could the Federal Reserve make that maybe you're on the lookout for, whether it be maybe too aggressive or maybe not aggressive enough? What's the mistake that you're maybe have on the on, in, on your radar? So I'm going to borrow the wisdom of Tom Honig, who I have tremendous respect for. He was the head of the St. Louis Fed for a long time. Um, and he said that one of the mistakes that was made uh, was that when the Fed was, was, was changing its policy stance, 
that they didn't stop and pause. And it's not for I'm not necessarily advocating for the Fed to stop or pause in, in September and not and, and, and just stop and pause for the entire cycle. But monetary policy does act with a lag. What we learned from the, the National Association of Credit Managers was that both um, both delivery, uh, excuse me, both collection times for services and manufacturing dipped into negative territory in May. That's the entire economy. Last time we had that was in December 2007 when the economy entered the Great Recession. So my concern is that we're entering recession and that if the Fed pushes too far, that this could be not a quick, shallow recession, but a more prolonged and deep one. But you do think we are going to go into a recession, right? Because we've had a lot of big economists, big names, um, like I keep referencing Ed Hyman, push back against um, that that idea and say at least it's not their base case for this year or 2023. Um, you know, Ed and I go back a long time. We're both University of Texas, you know, crazy, crazy um, freaks. And I, I respect Ed, but everything that we're seeing, uh, whether it's in in car sales, I spoke to somebody who is a, it's one, one of FedEx's biggest distribution centers in Portland, Oregon. He said he's never seen a slowdown that like this in 25 years just in terms of the sheer volume. And, huh. and that's what we're hearing. We're hearing from Amazon. We're hearing from Target. They're sitting on inventory. Totally. Demand has been destroyed, and it's going to come through with a lag. I wouldn't be surprised to see another big number with consumer credit out at this afternoon, later this afternoon, because Americans are putting more and more on their credit cards to sustain their consumption pattern. But that's not – that's not. You, you can't prolong that, which Jan Hatzius at Goldman Sachs recently warned about. So are, are we in stagflation now? Are we in or are we even worse in a recession now, do you think? Do you think inflation has peaked, Danielle? I, I do think that, especially on the discretionary side, that inflation has peaked. Uh, Jay Powell, he's trying to break the back of housing speculation, and that's where the policy mistake could come. Because that, that input into the CPI is higher than it was at the, than it was at the peak of the housing bubble. Right now, and we know that it's going to continue to filter through at very high levels, 40% of the CPI, even if we see discretionary inflation come off its highs, which we know is happening. There are other, there are other very sticky forms, and going into a midterm election, politicians are going to be focused on headline CPI. They're not going to give the Fed the luxury of focusing on the core, and, and, and food and energy right now are not in the, under the Fed's control. So, yes, discretionary inflation is off its highs. But there are other persistent, sticky forms that continue to input to, to feed into the CPI inputs. At the same time, that I think it's highly feasible that we are already in recession. Right now, you've got GDP estimates somewhere around the two percent mark for the current quarter, ending June 30th. By the way, I have a, a listener writing in asking if you think we've seen the highs in rates, or can rates go higher because the Fed has difficulty controlling inflation? This is something that uh, Ira Jersey also was saying. He's at least close to on the long end, the highs in rates. And I, I, I would agree with Ira because there's only so much you can do to combat a turn in the labor force. And that is, that, that's your biggest signpost um, for your long rates. We, we've seen two uh, consecutive months of negative net revisions. We've seen two consecutive months of part-time, working part-time for economic reasons tick up. You've seen your underemployment rate tick up for two months. We're, we're seeing signs of turning in the labor force. Once the labor force turns, you are past tense looking into the rearview mirror in recession. That signals your peak in long rates. All right. 
every time we talk to Danielle, and you get Danielle and Ira on the same day. Well, I was just thinking that is awesome. Let's get Danielle on with Ed, with Ed Hyman. Sure. Get the two of them. And next time you're in New York, Danielle, we're going to set this all up. I'm going to call Ed. I'd love it. And that would be fantastic. <laughs> uh, all right. Danielle DiMartino our, Booth. We can coordinate our wardrobes. We'll both wear burnt orange for UT. Man, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Perfect. Perfect. Danielle DiMartino Booth, uh, UT alum, also sure. the CEO of Quill Intelligence and uh, highly respect. A lot of our listeners love to hear sure. um, her give talks. And Good. Love to hear um, her. Also, great social game. Her Twitter feed is really informative. Ah, yeah. I don't really tweet much well, you just read her tweets and yeah. get smart i'll check it out i'll yeah. check it out okay danielle great to have you on thanks so much for joining us um well usually paul you do this part what do i do now oh, you do just kind of say hey we'll talk to you in a few minutes Come yeah on. This, this is, is bloomberg. bloomberg right now we want to bring in some you know a guy who's traded this stuff all over the place now I don't think we're ever going to see him in the offices here. He is a work-from-home pro, and that is Vince Signorella, global macro strategist for Bloomberg News. He can do this stuff from anywhere. So, Vince, thanks so much for joining us here. Curdy was just kind of highlighting currencies out there. Is there a bear market case for the U.S. dollar? Not yet. Not yet. And uh, we won't talk about my trading uh, options from the beaches of Cabo San Oh, boy. Here we go. <laughs> Um, not, not yet. I mean, there, there's definitely an argument uh, upcoming, if you will, but not just quite yet. The situation, one of the things I point out to you is, is there's an amazing inverse correlation right now between the dollar and equities. And we saw it this morning the dollar rolled over and we saw a bid in equities once again. Typically, the dollar's the tail, you know, and not wagging the dog. But for the last two days, the dollar's actually been leading the equity markets. And, and one of the reasons is, without getting too deep in the weeds of this, is what, what's been driving inflation is commodities. It's not a demand for money. It's not a supply for money, per se. Um, you know, the Fed's monetary policy hasn't changed for 15 years. We haven't really seen any inflation for 15 years. Now, all of a sudden, we're seeing it because of commodity prices. That's something that's legitimately out of control with the Fed. And the more they take money out of the system, and the more they do this reduction of the balance sheet and higher interest rates, the greater divergence between the demand and the supply for money. And as that diverges, you see a greater demand for the dollar. And so I think in the near term, as Pretty was mentioning, I think we're going to see a little bit more demand for the dollar than not. It's going to be a little choppy. Obviously, what um, what Powell says at, uh, in his presser after the uh, FOMC, as everyone expects, hikes next Wednesday. Um, my hope is exactly opposite of what uh, Vince, I'm was so, on your show. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I'm so glad. It's got to be, it's it's a really good moment when your teacher, your former mentor and teacher says, <laughs> the student was right. Yes. I appreciate well, she, it. Uh, Vince, I got to be honest, she's been making your argument uh, over the last several days. And no one believes me. They're like, oh, this doesn't matter. It's flat. It's unchanged. You're totally right. But let me go cross asset here because if you actually look, and this is what's so interesting to me, a lot of the correlations that we saw two years ago, which by the way, Vince also taught me correlations. So Good. all my rants are really Vince's fault. <laughs> um, but if you look at what kind of happened with oil prices higher, stocks higher, all of these risk assets that are traditionally supposed to be risk assets, they're moving together again in a way that they haven't, I would argue year to date. Vince, your take on that. 
Well, um, yes. I mean, you know, all all correlations uh, equal one at some point or another. Uh, Regarding the oil price, though, and if you're an FX guy and you're looking how to play this, uh, you know, you mentioned Wazi Yen earlier. CAD Yen is an exceptional thing to look at. CAD, an exporter of oil. uh, What? Looney, Canadian dollar. What am I doing now? Canadian dollar to the yen. Oh jeez. Yes. Cad-yen. So you buy can't you buy if you think oil goes Cad-yen. up. Cad yen. Okay, oil. that's what I get. All right, I'm I'm speaking for every single one of our listeners out there. True. Cad yen. Okay, I got it. <laughs> Continue, Vin. Sorry. <laughs> so no, in a, in a commodity play, um, you you have to like Canada for a variety of reasons. Major exporter of commodities, uh, oil oil as well. Um, and if if you think. You know, you can watch the Bloomberg Commodity Index. I think we hit um, historical highs yesterday. If you if you expect that to continue, I would I would look for the oil exporters to continue to do better currency wise. By the way, like by the way, Vince, yeah. do we uh, almost unrelated? Do we import deflation when the yen goes to one thirty two? I mean, I'm just thinking about uh, Ford and GM and Chrysler buying parts from Japan. They can get a lot more for a lot less now. Yeah, absolutely. If that's where they're getting it from, and not from China these days, but yes, absolutely correct. Um, it's it's always, but the the flip side of the coin for the right. automakers, where they always push back, is when the yen weakens. Uh, the Japanese automakers yep. have a huge advantage over U.S. automakers. Good point. So All right. it, it's a double-edged sword, really. All Very right, good Vince, point. good stuff. Always love having you. We're going to have you every couple of weeks now, so you're you're locked in. Vince Signorella, global macro strategist, and also critical group to. Uh, Markets correspondent joining us talking a little bit of the currency side. Trading at Schwab is now powered by Ameritrade, bringing you an expanding library of education with even more ways to sharpen your trading skills. Access new online courses, insightful webcasts, articles, engaging videos, and more, all curated just for traders. Plus, guided learning paths with content designed to fit your unique interests. No sifting to find exactly what you need so you can spend your time learning to trade brilliantly. Learn more at schwab.com slash trading. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. June is Pride Month and a month when we're focused on equality issues here at Bloomberg. 
Today we bring in Organon CEO Kevin Ali to talk about women's health care and expanding health care for all. Uh, Kevin, thanks so much for joining us here. You know, I read a recent stat that only 4% of global funding for research and development in healthcare services go towards women's health. That really shocked me. Talk to me about what you guys at Organon are doing here to address the women's healthcare market. Be with you, Paul, and, and I got to say that uh, you know we're really excited because last week we celebrated our one-year anniversary uh, since the bell ringing ceremony that we had at the New York Stock Exchange, and we aim to do really three things to uh, you know for investors to really believe in Organon as a company. First and foremost, we said we would stabilize our established brands business, and we've done that. We said we would drive our biosimilars business by double digits. We've done that, and now turning to your point, which is women's health. We said basically that we're going to be an active player in business development because there are a number of assets out there looking for a home at a reasonable valuation. Uh, we've got great cash flow. So we've been able to do five business deals over the last year to kind of buttress our, our business, our thriving uh, reproductive health business. So we've gone from two areas of focus in fertility and contraception now to seven areas of focus uh, literally in one year. So we're very pleased. Uh, you know, R&D is starting to emerge in the space. Mm. And we're a great player to be a global uh, leader in the women's health space. There's no other large pharma company quite like us in terms of our focus. So we're very happy with our potential future options here. By the way, Kevin, I know, uh, well, a lot of times, at least, executives don't like to talk politics. and But it, we can't have a conversation about women's health and equality without talking about um, uh, the possibility of Roe being overturned. How do you react? Um, how have your employees reacted to this? What, what, what appears to be, at least from one point of view, a, a huge setback in women's rights? Yeah, look, you know, I'll tell you, Paul, I think you know, everyone uh, is clearly paying attention. As you said, it's still not determined fully yet. Obviously, soon we'll find out soon enough. But here's the focus. I mean, really, I mean, you know, the employees, what we call founders of this company, all nearly 10,000 strong, are focused on our vision of a better and healthier every day for every woman. Part of that focus is really on trying to solve the issue of unintended pregnancies, of which more than 50% of all pregnancies in the United States are unintended. The same ex-US has been that way for nearly a decade. Uh, you know, and so we're starting to invest in things like, for example, education and awareness so that she can have better discussions with, health, with her health care provider and offering up um, really unique, innovative ideas like Nexplanon, which is an insertable rod that we have, a long-acting reversible contraceptive that potentially uh, essentially saves a woman having to think about an unintended pregnancy for three years with a 99.8% effectiveness level. So we're focused on our end of the spectrum, which is really trying to bring innovative and unique solutions to solve some of these significant unmet needs like unintended pregnancies. All right, so Kevin, you spun out for Merck last year right in the midst of a global pandemic. Talk to us about what that was like. Yeah, the book is waiting to be written. <laughs> Trust me when I tell you that. Um, you know, it, it, it has been tremendous challenge in terms of being able to wrap everybody up to to get out from you know you know this business took a lot of complexity a lot of a lot of folks involved got countless number of uh, consultants and folks like of that nature but i think one of the things i've learned in this process over the last year the stronger of a culture and purpose that you have 
the more discretionary effort you're going to get from your employees. And the purpose was so well articulated and so incredibly connected to that that created the discretionary effort. So you don't really need an office space to ensure everybody is, you know, crossing the T's and dotting the I's. Everybody works like crazy. And it's nice to say that now that we're one year, we can look back in the rearview mirror and say, you know, all things have just gone beautifully well, knock on wood, because a lot of things could have gone wrong. And as a matter of fact, the consultants didn't want to scare me with all the things that could have gone wrong in a pandemic. But so far, so good. Um, knock on wood, all, all things being equal, you know, we've been able to deliver everything that we said to shareholders and to investors and analysts, and I think are developing credibility in a very quick rate. And you've had a lot going on, um, you know, besides the spinoff, very active in terms of M&A as well. What about um, the ESG phenomenon, which um, has grown at incredible pace? You've just published your first ESG report. That's right. That's right. And look, from the first day we actually spun out, we saw a unique opportunity to connect our vision and purpose of a better, healthier, and healthier every day for every woman to a very unique and differentiated ESG platform. Um, and it's called Her Promise. And we actually um, published that literally a year after launch, which in itself is, is a tremendous achievement by the team. But the, really, the focus is on you know, solving some of these great unmet needs out there. That's why essentially the S and the ESG is one of our kind of superpowers in the sense that you know, we, half of the product that we actually deliver, I talked about Nexplanon, our reversible long-acting, reversible contraceptive, is given to right. low- and middle-income countries free of essentially almost at cost. And so that essentially says we've got an right. opportunity to create more, you know, uh, opportunities like next for the world. And the same thing for governance and, and, Good. Uh, and the environment. All right, Kevin, great, great stuff. Thanks so much for taking the time. Kevin Ali, CEO of Organon, as a publicly traded company. O-G-N is the symbol. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio. The Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit returns to London on April 25th for a solution-driven look at the sustainable business and finance landscape, looking at the latest trends in ESG regulations, supply chain innovation, and transition finance. Speakers include leaders from CDP, Emirates Environment Group, TNFD, Ctrace, COA, and more. Summit advisors include City and Schneider Electric. Visit BloombergLive.com slash SBS 2024 to learn more.